HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by the Wisconsin Cheese Cupid Pairing app, available on Android and Apple devices. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Let's put the giving into Thanksgiving and use your tech to change the world on this episode of Tech Bites. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners. I'm Jennifer Liuzzi, your show host of Tech Bites, the show where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today, that technology is going to be about fundraising and giving on our special Thanksgiving holiday episode. There's so much tech out there around food and how to make it and how to get it. And today, we thought it would be great to take a look at how we can use our tech to give and really try and make the world a better place. So to help us get into that today, we have Tony Butler, who is the Executive Director of St. John's Bread and Life here in Brooklyn. It's great to be here. He is also on the Heritage Radio Network Board of Directors. It's no good deed goes unpunished kind of thing. (laughs) I'm not quite sure which end of the stick we're on here in the shipping container. (laughs) Also with us today... As always, we have the Heritage Radio Network executive producer and our trusty engineer, superstar DJ Jack Inslee. Ooh, superstar DJ. I like that. Well, you're just back from a big show in my jammy. I am. So, I mean, I think if you cross state lines to play music, that makes you at least a star. Big time. (laughs) (laughs) Nice to see you guys. So as always, we start Tech Bites like a good meal with an appetizer, and we all talk about apps we're using, apps we like, apps we love. I will start off keeping in theme of the giving in Thanksgiving. My app is called Share the Meal. And for anyone who's out there who is thinking about being a startup entrepreneur and wants to solve a problem like world hunger or childhood hunger in the world... Sometimes the best thing to do is to create what is called a bridge app or a bridge business where Share the Meal is an app where smartphone users can donate money, like 50 cents a day could feed a child. 
And instead of creating a huge global infrastructure themselves to solve this problem, they simply are connecting to an existing global network that is trying to solve this problem. In this case, it is the United Nations World Food Program. So there are 2 billion smartphone users in the world, which outnumbers hungry children 20 to 1. So if everyone who had a smartphone gave 50 cents a day to feed children in the world, things would be solved really quickly. So it's a great app. I think the UN is a great organization if you're around the world and have a smartphone. Think about downloading it for free. And also connects you to Facebook, so it turns giving into kind of social media gaming, which we all love. So you might not even notice you're giving, and you can coerce your friends and family <laughs> to give also, which is even better, because then that's how you, know, you make something become viral right. and have greater number of people participate. So, Share the Meal, United Nations, worldfoodprogram.org. You can get it on Apple, Android, and Amazon. That's my app. Great. Tony, are you an app guy? Somewhat. Somewhat with, with the fundraising, though. Um, we're actually developing apps more for our food delivery system than fundraising. Um, the emergency food world still is a bit more old-fashioned, more web-based um, and um, email-based and uh, Twitter and like that to, to drive that um, kind of fundraising. We, um, we partner with the various apps that um, GuideStar uses. Um, uh, I'm thinking of um, Oh Charity Navigator and those because we they, we use those as portals to um, to receive donations. What's on your personal phone? What kind of apps do you use in your day to day life? They're mostly just music ones. Interesting. I, yeah, um, that I uh, I think because I do so much of this all the time that personally I just want to kind of unplug and. What kind of music are you a fan of? Mostly my classical music. And what's your favorite music app? Um, I use iHeartRadio because it streams well, um, and it, it works on my phone. Uh, that's probably my favorite because I can sit down, and it, it works well, and I don't have to think about it And I, um, for my relaxing time when I get home late at night. Perfect. Jack usually has music-related, not yeah. usually, but sometimes has music-related apps. What's your app today, Jack? Oh, man, my app <laughs> today. You're like, uh, here's my app to change the world. I'm like, here's my app to see if it's going to rain in Miami. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's called Dark Sky. It's one of the few apps I paid for. How um, much was it? I believe it was five dollars. Five dollars. Five whole dollars. It's wow. Good, good forever, though. Um, so it's a, it's a keeper. And actually, I got the tip on a few things with Claire and Erica, another show on the network. And they mentioned the app, and they were they made the same point. They're like, we can't believe that we paid for it because we rarely pay for apps, but it's totally worth it. So it's more of a real time weather app. So it says, like I was using it in Miami, and it was raining. You open the app, and it says. Light rain will stop in 20 minutes nice. and pick back up again in 90. So you're like, okay, great. I'll, I'll go. I'll play around a pool and go outside and check this. And it worked. It was incredibly accurate. It's so, hyper-localized, right? It uses yes. the GPS on your really? phone to pinpoint exactly where you Correct. are, which is why it can tell you so, it's going to rain in 20 minutes. That's right. My weather report was you know, for the address I was at, not for Miami, say, wow. which is completely exactly. different. And, and yeah. you, you can see how it changes. I, I, you know, I, was, I was skeptical, but it was spot on. Like 20 minutes later, there's the sun. Dark sky. And 90 minutes later, yeah. clouds come back. Dark sky. I like yeah. that. Okay. I'll get it for walking the dog in the morning. Right. Exactly. Well, can change your world. I know. Maybe I know. not the world, yeah, but, but your world. Yeah. <laughs> so, again, Tony is here today because 
you know, this week especially, culturally in the U.S., it's an amazing food holiday. It's the one holiday where we all kind of congregate around the same type of food. Mm-hmm. Um, it's non-secular. It's just about sort of the geography of us all being in the same place. And we're really bombarded with all the stuff that you have to get. Right. And we're also, you know, bombarded with the beginning of the shopping and the Black Friday and all of that. So it's just this huge, I mean, parts of it are very nice and parts of it are kind of consumerist. So I thought it would be a nice counterpoint to talk about um, putting the giving back into Thanksgiving. And, you know, one of my favorite taglines of all time is for a crowdsourcing website, which is basically like Kickstarter mm-hmm. for, you know, charity or not-for-profit things. It's called CrowdRise. Right. And their logo is, if you don't give, no one will like you. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I'm going to start using that. So that's great. So, you know, Tony is at Bread and Life, which is a food pantry, soup kitchen, community place in Brooklyn, um, really to help people um, on the day-to-day with the fundamental um, thing, which is eating. But they also have ancillary services Mm -hmm. as people need them in life. And one of the things I'm fascinated by in this space is how the old can drive, and we all know it, like go into your pantry and pick up a can of tuna fish and a can of soup and bring it to, you know, your church, community space, grocery store, Girl Scouts, but all that's virtual and online now, isn't it? Yes, yes, um, um, and much more effective. Um, the old can drives, I mean, they were good. Um, they don't address, I think, in an economic way or a, a good or a stewardship way, um, the, the problem of hunger. Um, simply put, I mean, I can buy food cheaper through a virtual drive than um, someone can. And you can also target foods with a virtual drive because hungry people need choices. So we sometimes don't need you know, a thousand cans of creamed corn or whatever we happen to get that we can target appropriate foods. We can target foods culturally, target uh, foods, um, people religious based, if they're halal or kosher or things like that. Um, and it's a way to engage, I think, a way to engage people more because the can drives are good. You give a can, you, you drop it off. It's kind of aggregated, whatever group you've collected with. Um, but by virtual giving, um, which we're doing more, particularly around our Christmas program, um, you start seeing directly where the, where your money's going to and how it's helping someone. That's really wonderful. And I think with Kickstarter and Apple Pay mm. and online retail, Amazon, yeah. eBay, people are much pro- much more primed. It's a part of our day-to-day right. behavior that we're really used to transacting money very quickly mm-hmm. um, online from an email. Right. Has the behavior pattern of people's willingness to do that had an effect on you as well? I would think so. I mean, first of all, it's increased. I mean, that behavior uh, pattern that um, our online donations have increased dramatically over the last probably two and a half years. Um, it's dramatically shifted. The majority of our, our payments are coming um, percentage-wise online uh, giving. And it's it started to um, some of our focus in terms of fundrise, fundraising, excuse me, some of our focus in terms of how we're getting our message out has changed um, because the the marketplace is very complex now, and the marketplace is in some ways very competitive. There's many charities looking, many good charities looking for donations, and um, so we've had to change um, the way we tell the story. We've had to change the way we respond in terms of, of thank you, the way we engage people, and it's a it's an interesting balancing act because you you're engaging people in a virtual world. But you have to engage them because the problem we are addressing is not virtual. It's very real. It's hunger. I mean, it's, it's, it's visceral. It's, it's, it's one of the fundamental 
problems. Um, it's different than, say, something three or four times removed, um, say, jobs or something like that, which um, doesn't affect you, you know, three, four times a day. Um, so we have, to, we have to work that balance. What would you say the key piece or the, the way you've, you've changed your messaging has evolved over time? Because that's a really interesting thing to say mm. because technology has changed the way we communicate mm-hmm. just given the nature of the medium or the right. channel. On this show, we've talked about Snapchat and Instagram and Twitter and those kinds of things where, you know, on Twitter, you have to communicate your message in 140 characters or less. And in your case, you have to communicate it with a sense of urgency mm-hmm. that that motivates people right. to click and do something. It has been difficult. I mean, we've moved. I mean, initially, it seemed like when all this came out, you did it in terms of numbers. You said the need and the response and the kind of gap and get people to jump into that gap and respond to that gap. Um, we've had to really um, both personalize the story and tell impact. And that's been a, you know, you can't just tell the, sad, the I don't mean in a bad sense, the sad story of some child who eats food. That's, that's very tragic. But you also have to say, what's the impact of the money that's being given? And how do you do that in 140 characters? Or how do you do that um, in some kind of crowd rise? We're doing around, say we're doing a thing, we, we're raising money to uh, pro, uh, procure diapers and formula for our young families. Um, how, how do you do that? And we're still struggling with that. I think the nonprofit community is struggling how to use that. Um, and not annoy people. Yeah, because, to be persistent without being annoying. Um, because you know, I'm sure when you get home, you have a stack of letters from every charity that ever graced the planet. Um, yeah. And you give money to something, you become a member I of do. something, which do. I do, and then all of a sudden I get more emails from them than yeah. I get from my friends. Right. <laughs> um, there's something to be said um, that it is a membership. I think it is a contractual. It is a, a relationship that happens between the donor and the charity, and the charity has an obligation to continue to inform the donor. There's an obligation to continue to ask, but you don't ask all the time um, if the don't. It's because it's an investment. I mean, that's how we look at it. It's an investment model that the donor has invested their money into us for this particular result. So, with everything moving towards a virtual space now, um, what percentage of your contributions come in virtually through a digital form? I think we're up to about 65-70% are coming virtually, um, mostly through our website, actually. So then do you, how has that balanced up against having actual connections with people who would maybe come to right. St. John's over yeah. you know, a weekend or a holiday? Mm-hmm. And you, know, you talk about right. making that connection in real life mm-hmm. because the problems are in real life. Have you seen a growth in actual presence of people coming to the space? We, we have, actually, and it's interesting. I think part of the thing is it actually allows you to, when you get a donation, to respond quickly. It's more like a conversation than, I got a check, I put it in the mail, I write my thank you letter, which is um, um, in time. Um, you, you can kind of lose that, that urgency and the excitement about it. Now, we use those the information we gather in terms of the donations to have events, to invite people um, some like the big one we do, a big Christmas event where we give toys and food to 2,000 families every year. Um, we have different supper clubs at our, at our facility to see how the place works, to experience it physically, to meet some of our guests. I mean, do that. So you, you want to you use the virtual piece to engage people and get them out. So does that... Because you can't eat food virtually. No, you can't. <laughs> and then the person who invents the app where you can is going to be the one who's really going to break the Internet. 
So do you think that And then, probably ruin the world, too, because we don't come together around food. I think there's going to be a big problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting. I was at a... Um, one of the entrepreneur, you know, incubator type events where um, they had different founders standing up and there were quite a few, you know, app and services that were being developed to bring people to the table together because we don't yeah. do that. There's an, there's an irony in that, that we create yeah. virtual stuff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, pretty, we're talking on tech, we're broadcasting from a restaurant. So, <laughs> Right, exactly. So, but do, do you think then that the... Is, is that where the movement comes from, the can drive of that physicality of collecting the cans together as like a Girl Scout troop right. or a high school class or a business? Are you then seeing instead of that people coming and coming to your yes, supper parties we, or coming to pack turkey dinners? or We do that. And sometimes we, we change it, make the virtual thing sound crass, but people will pay to volunteer. Mm-hmm. So instead of buying those, you know, give me a box of canned goods or something like that, why don't your ex-group come, your Girl Scouts, either raise money and pay to volunteer. That way you come, you provide money that that helps feed more people, you provide your services, your, your kind of labor you're giving that, and you see and you see where your money is going. So it's an activity, yeah. almost. And it's got to, I think, I think, think, it's relational. I mean, all of our problems in this country have to be solved relational. They are because there's a dis, either the people who are suffering from X thing are disconnected, the hungry are disconnected from the mainstream. They can't access food generally because they don't have enough money. It's not really a in this country. It's not a, a problem of lack of food. It's not a supply issue. No, it's just it's a financial yeah. issue. And so and the barriers are man-made or human-made that, that prevent them from accessing the food. And we're trying to break those down, but they're still relational. So it's got to be done in community. So when people are looking to different organizations to spend their time and spend their money with so many things happening and, you know, getting an email or seeing a website, how, what, are, what are ways that the consumer can know this is going to be something good and my money is going to a good place? And I ask that because I think online and in emails, you know, it's sometimes things can look suspicious. But there mm-hmm. was also very recently... Um, in New York State, an instance where there was a fraudulent charity where they had put clothing collection bins in parking lots and used the logos of a couple of local charities, took all the clothes, and then sold the clothes in thrift shops for profit. Um, And then, you know, this went through the New York State uh, court system, and they were found guilty, and they're going to have to you know, give money to the actual charities that they were sort of pretending to work with. But how do people, what's a good way for people to take a look at a website or an email from a charitable group and know that it's a good one? One, I mean, uh, a simple one, if if every, um, excuse me, every nonprofit on their website should have their financials posted. There should be in the about us someplace, there's your recent financials. And that will give you a good idea of what the money's being spent on. Because I have to provide my financials. I have to say how much money I've spent on food, how much money I've spent on services, how much money I've spent on payroll, how much money I've spent on fundraising. So it'll give you an idea of what they're spending their money on. And it's an IRS document, so it's vetted by the government. Um, you can look like Charity Navigator, which is one that ranks charities based on the relationship of fundraising to uh, direct services. So that's a website? Yeah. CharityNavigator.com? Yep. Yeah. Um, GuideStar.org, I think. Yeah, it's GuideStar.org is another one um, where, where people can do that. Um, ask around um, uh, uh, in terms of friends. Mm-hmm. I think that's another way to do it, to see um, and volunteer and call up or visit. 
Um, Because it does have to be a relationship because you're right, you're bombarded and there are fraudulent, like anything, there's fraudulent banks out there, there's fraudulent doctors, there's bad restaurants, there's every industry has people who try to get over and and generally the good providers are punished by those outliers. Um, But I would encourage people to to investigate, but one of the easiest ones is to look at a a group's financials and Charity Navigator will do that very simply, Um, kind of in bullet points, you don't have to read you know a 10 page IRS document that's good that's good to know and easy really easy things for people mm-hmm. to look at when they're on an organization's website and sort of just a couple clicks away to you know be reassured and, and know that things are going mm-hmm. to where they right. are supposed to be going right. to I think right now we're going to take a little break and we are going to hear from our sponsor the Cheese Cupid app from the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Do you love cheese? Cheese loves a beverage, probably wine. <laughs> the Fromage Dating app. Mm. And we're also going to listen to some break music from Momorazzi. Listening to this show, you've probably used Tinder, you've probably used OkCupid, and maybe you're bored of these human dating apps. Want to play matchmaker with some more interesting couples? Food couples? Say, drinks and cheese? Well, you can now with the Wisconsin Cheese Cupid app. What beverage complements your cheese? What cheese complements your beverage? Wisconsin Cheese Cupid has the answer. Just choose beverage or cheese in need of a soulmate, and Wisconsin Cheese Cupid will do the rest. Feeling a bit adventurous? Pairing Roulette will create a random yet perfectly delicious pairing for you. So if you're sick of swiping left and right, put aside the dating struggles and make a match that'll satisfy even the loneliest of the lonely. Go to CheeseCupid.com or find Cheese Cupid in the App Store. Happy matchmaking. Well, if you're wondering what the hell you just clicked on, this is Tech Bytes on the HeritageRadioNetwork.org, the weekly show where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today, our show is all about putting the giving back into Thanksgiving and using your tech to, you know, help change someone's world and the world. So today we're speaking with Tony Butler, who is the executive director of St. John's Bread and Life, which is a... One of our Brooklyn neighbors, it's a food pantry community center where they help feed people and help them in different parts of their life. And it's very timely. It's Thanksgiving. It's Black Friday. We're thinking about spending money and what we're buying and what we're getting. And sometimes it's really nice to stop and think about other people. And something that's also happening this week, tomorrow, 
the New York City Coalition Against Hunger is going to release their annual survey on demand at soup kitchens and food pantries in New York. And it's going to be the first report in a decade that's, going to, that's trying to document how many people who are working in New York City and New York State are working but still hungry. And one of the media points of dissemination tomorrow will be St. John's Bread and Life. I think that's happening tomorrow morning at 9 a.m.? Yes. So tell us a little bit about what's going to happen. Well, it'll, it'll be an interesting day. I mean, Joel Berg and the New York City Coalition Against Hunger will be there to, to release this survey. And Joel does this annually. It's a very good kind of the status of hunger, particularly in New York, Sta- uh, New York City, though it does have a bit of a national reach. We'll have several politicians there. The media will be there. And it's a very good and, – and our guests, too, because folks will see and hear – who is being affected from, by this. It's not just a bunch of suits talking, um, a bunch of data points, but that hunger, one in five New Yorkers and one in four New York children use emergency food. And that's 1.8 million people do not get enough to eat every day. And I think one of the important adjectives here also is working. Yes. Working hungry. It is. And um, we have this illusion that, you know, we talk about the quote unquote homeless. Um, and our homeless population is uh, is very tragic. But essentially, as I just mentioned, there's 1.8 million people who are who are not getting enough to eat in this city. The homeless traditional homeless population on the streets about 25,000. So just you do the math, it's really folks who are working, single mothers, the elderly, um, folks who've contributed to this community, contributed to the city for their entire lives, are, are still contributing. If you work at minimum wage right now in New York City. Um, and you you cannot make enough money to get yourself out of poverty. You are still below the poverty line working 40 hours a week, and therefore what happens is places like ours in some sense subsidize the high rents, medical costs, transportation costs that these families have. And so we're seeing a significant amount of working people. That's really an amazing and breathtaking statistic mm-hmm. and, and one that gives me pause, um, and me particularly, mm-hmm. because I sit in an amazing pizza restaurant once a week. I talk about food technology and we're talking about being able to order food delivered to anywhere at, you know, with a couple taps on your smartphone. And we're talking about, you know, superstar chefs doing amazing things and um, really exceptional, exceptional moments of food and community which is so beyond the sort of more fundamental experience that people have. And on a personal note, I I do try and give some time to different charitable organizations, heritageradionetwork.org being one of them. But to me, because my my food life is so privileged, um, I have a personal, personal affection for programs that contribute to hunger relief, like the Food Bank for New York City and City Harvest Mm -hmm. have been some of my... Um, bedrocks of my pro bono work. But if you're, if listeners are interested in finding out what's going on, numbers, and where to find things, the New York City Coalition Against Hunger website is a great one. It's nyccah.org. Um, so that those events are going to be happening on Tuesday and Wednesday. And do you expect to see a surgence of activity on your website this week we have we already have yes it is it is that time it is that time that people are reminded to give um, it, um you alluded to it earlier in the show that 
particularly Thanksgiving. It's one of those holidays, if we take out Black Friday, we'll just look at Thursday. We haven't commercialized it. It is a time that people get together and are grateful, and they're grateful around food. And that's where food is the most powerful. I think food is more powerful than when you just have a great chef or sometimes when we've turned food into a sporting event like the Iron Chef kind of thing. It's Food should never be competitive. But people coming together, sharing good food, connecting with each other, and that's the same thing that happens at Bread and Life. We share good food. We're significant um, kind of a commitment to sustainably grown food. A quarter of our everything we uh, serve and produce is locally grown and locally sourced. So to, you're also supporting local farmers and small businesses? Very important. We spend about a million dollars on food annually and about 250000 of that is lo- uh, uh, sourced to local farmers and local kind of value-added products in the city. Which is great because then that's the entire community. Yeah. Well, it is. The, the, the hunger has to be responded to by the entire food community. Where That's why we've had um, supper clubs and, and events with very celebrity chefs. That's why we've had um, the previous host, Katie Kiefer, who was just doing the show before us, came in and helped us butcher 125 turkeys this weekend. 125 turkeys? I think it was. Wow. And, and uh, they're all, so we can cook them up because we don't have the capacity to cook whole birds at the time. So we, we brined them and did all that. Um, so that is the community coming together. And I think particularly the, uh, the food community, particularly in Brooklyn, um, this kind of burgeoning, maybe it's not new anymore, but over the last probably five or seven years, has really responded to knowing that they have an obligation. They do a very good job giving food to people with means, and they've recognized their obligation to help people uh, feed people without means. So one of the things that you're also developing in terms of getting resources to the people is you have a digital food pantry that you're developing yes. also. Well, actually developed. I mean, we, did, we built a new building um, eight years ago. And at part of that, we built the new building. It was a $10 million capital campaign. We wanted to give people choice. Because the listeners should know, people don't completely run out of food. What they do is they run out of money. And so at the end of the month, they may have pasta and no sauce, milk and no cereal, or you know, spices and no chicken, or, or whatever it may be. And I wanted to give people choice, and I wanted to understand what we were doing. And so we initially developed this digital food pantry where people order off a touchscreen. It's initially a server-based one because I wanted it to work. <laughs> Very, didn't want to go full internet thing and have it come crashing down. And because um, it was, I had a lot of pushback when I was raising money to fund this. That um, I couldn't figure out what the pushback because it wasn't really a terribly expensive thing to do. But I found out as I kind of researched and looked and kind of read between the lines that many donors were, and many people were thinking that the poor are too dumb to use technology. So this would be a waste of time. And uh, I, I didn't buy into that. So we developed it. We got it up and running in three months. Um, eventually, found another donor, so we've converted to fully web-based, so people can order remotely. Um, we're in conversation now to move it into a smartphone app, so we could use it for more because we used it for disaster relief during Sandy. We can how, use. It. How did that work during Sandy? It was very good. We it's able to run off a tablet, so we put tablets out in various community centers. Out, excuse me, out. Uh, we did it out in the Rockaways, and people could order food, and then it'd be delivered to them the next day. And the advantage of that was because the Sandy Relief, despite, I mean, Occupy Sandy did a very good job, but it was still very disorganized. So people would get, you know, 50 cases of water in their community and no food, or they'd get, you know, tons and tons of breakfast or whatever it was. So we were able to target the things they needed. Just as an example, they were getting breakfast cereals. We targeted milk towards them. Um, And they they could put the orders in based on their family size and structure. And then it also gave them... A way to connect to the services because mm-hmm. many people, and even myself and my apartment in Chelsea, we were without electricity yeah. for a week. Right. Um, going to a place where they did have yeah. connectivity to connect to things. Yeah. 
where they may not have had that at home. Right. And we would put our, some of our other services out there helping people because the city ramped up their food stamp program at that time to give people extra food. They could use their food stamps for hot meals during that time. We were also delivering kind of blankets and um, other things that people needed, uh, particularly on the Rockaways because they had no heat and it was getting cold there. So the digital food pantry then has been a, a great success. It is. It is. Um, and we're in, we, um, in a good way, we control the licensing to it. So we're actually... Um, Mosby Soup Kitchen's rolling it out here in Brooklyn. We're in conversation with a group in Atlanta. A group's going to be visiting us from uh, uh, Nevada um, to, to adopt this. Um, and it's been a very good thing for our guests. Um, it allows them, first of all, experience of technology that they might not have had. Um, it's very user-friendly. It works in seven different languages. And it also has pictures on it, so there's no barriers to folks who might not be literate. Or not speak one of the languages right, right. that's yeah. currently and, available. And it can happen, um, particularly it, in this town. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is it allows us to be better stewards of the food um, because it has a whole kind of robust inventory piece to it. And so I know exactly how much food we're using. Is there any slippage? Is there spoilage? What it's worth at any given time? So it's all part of, um, as we talked earlier about donors, that my principal responsibility, aside from fundraising, is to be a very good steward of that money. So this is another way I can kind of practice my stewardship. So the resources to build that initially, that also represents a completely different tech and digital arena of resources that you can take in that you weren't able or weren't really interested in five years ago or 10 years ago. Do you have, um, do you then ask for people to contribute coding pro bono or web design or all these types of things because as you create digital products i mean that's also another you know can have people come in and volunteer to make turkeys you could have people come in and volunteer to build an app we have we have done that um and it's also my growth because i'm kind of an accidental it guy you know um and and learning kind of not just not the coding um but the learning the kind of interplay you say is as the as the digital world moves that you know someone's good but all of a sudden some, someone says I, I can build this app um, as, in terms of donors in terms of uh, people we've looked at um, it's opened up a whole different world that can bring its gifts to bear on this um, problem of, of uh, hunger in the country there is a a very strong component of social enterprise and um, making a contribution to the greater good that is very much a part of the food tech world mm-hmm. and being entrepreneurial. Um, most of the entrepreneurs and tech startups that I've come across all have some sort of uh, do good or charitable giving component to them. Have you do, you, do you have any relationships right now in the food tech world or with any of the startups or the accelerators or the we don't VC really. funders? And that's the next thing because I'm, um, as we move this, because we haven't, one of the downsides is I haven't gotten this to an app. Um, and that will be the next thing in terms of partnering with that. I'm going to open that up. So if apps any of your listeners. Apps are expensive to yeah, build. Yeah. And so um, <laughs> working on some money and some funders that, uh, that are uh, looking at that. Because um, part of the thing is because. Um, in this emergency food world, there's still a great deal of skepticism around the digital world. So when you roll something out, it's got to work really well. And what is the skepticism? I think it just doesn't, it doesn't see how it could apply, how you could use these tools. 
because um, the old the emergency food world is still built on kind of a gleaning kind of mentality that you know you take your leftovers and you give them to a few poor people. Um, it's a model or, or, or a myth, I would think, that it's kind of we've eclipsed that, um, particularly because it's a notion of chronic hunger now. We still think it's emergency food. It's not. It's a, it's a chronic hunger problem. So you need to bring the resources that come to bear on any other chronic problem. We wouldn't, you know, get a witch doctor or whatever to take care of cancer patients now. We do research. We have technical. We do studies. We do scientific things to, to move the needle in terms of treating cancer. The same thing with food. We have to bring these resources, and a lot of it is the technology. The thing that's so interesting about human behavior when it comes to technology is People are really very willing to embrace change in certain arenas. When we look at even just the sort of payment convenience mm-hmm. yeah. that we talked about at the beginning of the show, Uber, Amazon, Apple Pay, click, click, text to donate. People are extremely comfortable sending money out of their phone without a second thought. Yeah. Um, when it comes to digital content, for example, people are very understanding of paying $5 to buy the newspaper at the newsstand, mm-hmm. but as soon as they go online, they want that entire newspaper for free. Even though it's, you know, yeah. it's almost the same thing. So it's really interesting to me at which point people throw up this emotional, intellectual roadblock to, well, that's not how it works, yeah. or it can't, that can't right. possibly work. Yeah, I think it's a lack of kind of uh, the lack of tactile nature or the ability to touch your, your image or of, of the newspaper. Because the, the cost of a newspaper is not so much the printing. It's really paying all the people to write and right. collect all the information. Um, it's, um, and that cost never goes away, regardless no, of doesn't. the median. Yeah. The New York Times reporters were sitting in a bar. We'd still have to pay them for the knowledge they have, if it were, it was, even if it was an oral tradition. Um, but the, the notion that if, it's not, if I can't touch it, it's not worth being paid for. Um, and I think we have to change that because um, you're paying for people's wisdom and skills and um, techniques and all that to respond to a, a need. Um, and that's worth something. Yeah, the, the value of, of the human effort and work. Right, right, and because the reason we give to charity, ideally, is we see a problem that we don't know how to respond to. We either don't have the time, we don't have the know-how, we don't have the kind of desire that it takes to do that, um, or, or we're, we're doing other things. Um, but we see that need, so we, uh, we give money to that. So sometimes I think it's important to identify what those needs are because that's how people know there's a problem and they can hopefully act on that. Going into 2016 for you, developing, you know, the next stage of your digital food pantry, the next stage of your website, the next generation of giving, you know, talking to the food tech community right now, what are the types of... Um, services and expertise that you are looking for as an organization that if somebody listening would be able to say, hey, you know what? I'm a founder of a company. We could maybe build that or do that. I'm, I think uh, primarily I would be looking for someone to help me do some job creation. Because I, um, the, as we mentioned earlier, the problem of hunger is a problem of poverty. Um, and tech jobs are where there's some money at. I do not. We're looking at creating jobs. I do not want to create jobs that don't pay anything because it doesn't move people out of poverty. So, and I, I'm interested in some social enterprise and like that. Um, but like most of these things, I don't know what I'm doing. But we just get them moving. And so that those kind of resources that we mentioned, the entrepreneurial. How can the entrepreneurial world, the, the tech entrepreneurial world, combat this this social problem um, aside from raising money? 
but how can they bring because they they do other um issues and and problems or even the problem you talk about food there's there's always been a difficulty of people receiving food even if they had money so delivery and matching and we just the ad we had in between here about matching cheese and your favorite beverage yeah um that's a very cool app when you don't know what wine to get with brie or whatever it might be um those smarts um pay people develop apps how can we bring folks who might not have access to that world and those jobs and that kind of training together so so for you, that would translate into something like maybe you would offer, you know, in some of your workshop or gatherings at your space, you could offer, somebody could host classes on coding or, coding, you know, social media. Sales, or, design, of website, all the different things that it takes um, and understanding how that works um, and how you get into it. So there's a lot of space for people to share knowledge yeah. and, and still space for people to right. help train people yeah. to do new jobs mm-hmm. and what about for the st john's bread and life app what do you need for that i need somebody to help me write it and make sure it works <laughs> so that, that people could order remotely very easily off of any multiple um it'd have to be many platforms because not everyone's got iphones it'd have to be one that works on almost any platform um be very robust um, and very, very simple to use um, because the user skills are very there's a wide range of user skills on the phone um, I mean, our, our, uh, our users. And um, so the, any phone app has got to be able to be very, very simple for that. Um, and that would be exciting. The other piece, too, would be that um, in the tech world, how can the tech world help us tell the story better? And I know that's a big question because... Snapchat. Yeah. <laughs> but none of them do. We've not, we've not... No one's leveraged... And no one's leveraged well any of those um, platforms in terms of telling stories and getting donations. We're still trying to figure out um, how you um, connect. And it's working, but there's just like Facebook. I still don't know how it makes money. I've not quite figured that out. (laughs) (laughs) Probably sells information about me. That's probably how it makes money. But (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, the whole whole question of everything that's digital is how do you amortize it? How do you amortize it and make money? That's a question Uh, that we all have, I think, on the day-to-day. How do we amortize what we do yeah. and make money? Right, and, and, and how do you communicate the value um, of that? Um, and I would encourage the tech world could help us. How do we communicate the value of what we do? And communicate the value of what you do within the digital media channels right. yep. where people are yep. so that if they're on Twitter or Facebook or online reading a story, they are two clicks away from giving you a donation giving me a donation and making the world a little better because good apps do that they connect two different things that's usually what or maybe not two but different things that were hard to connect and that when you connect two things that makes something better the other thing that's nice about giving is that much of what we do online and in our digital life is very passive it's passive observation it is and just because you watch the photos or the video of your friend's birthday party doesn't mean you told them happy birthday or celebrated with them or had any actual connection. And I think we're starting to forget a little bit that there's a big difference between actually engaging and having an experience and just kind of passively watching events go by. Oh, you're very right. Because the passive part, it all becomes about us. It's pleasant. We see X video. It's kind of cute. Right. Um, and 
The active part is that you're engaging with the other person. And, and in my line of work, the active part is you're engaging in the justice. The passive part is frequently the kind of pity. This is sad, a hungry child, a hungry family. Um, it's like what the ASPCA does. You know, you see right. a really sad dog. It's, but pity is not a good reason. To, it can be, it's not a good long-term reason to do anything. Um, justice is that this emotional response you have to something makes you do something. So the emotional response to the birthday party of the kid, and you say, oh, that's really, we should reach out to the kid, say happy birthday, or send him a check, or whatever. It might exactly. Be, you know? Make a donation on their behalf. Yeah, yeah, whatever it is. So some some serious thoughts for the week of giving. Tomorrow is Giving Tuesday. Thanksgiving is Thursday. The internet is open 24-7, and you can you know, scratch the itch to donate and do good at any moment of the day. But, you know, it doesn't all have to be serious and somber. You know, I want to call out an event that I'm going to be doing in two weeks on Sunday, December 6th. It's a holiday apple pie contest, which is going to raise money for Share Our Strength. I'm going to be a judge, and I'm a tough judge, (laughs) because I make the best apple pie. I've been told by my culinary focus group of one, (laughs) my husband. (laughs) It's going to take place at Gigi's at 511 East 5th Street. The chef there is Bobby Helen. If you haven't been there, it's really a great neighborhood spot. He makes amazing pizza, specifically the square grandma pizza, Mm -hmm. which is really hands down pretty good. He's a local local boy done good. The website is ggsnyc.com. Um, There's no tickets. It's a $20 donation at the door. All the proceeds are going to go to share our strength. There's going to be snacks and cocktails and pies. If you think you are a pie master and a contender to win, um, reach out to techbyteshrn at gmail.com or on the Tech Bytes page on Facebook or on Twitter and Instagram. We're at techbyteshrn. Um, And we can get you all of the entry details. And that's just a great example of... People coming together, holiday season in America is all about pie, you know, a little money at the door, and then it's going to go to a group that's going to help other people have some nice holiday pie and a good moment. Oh, it's great things. Great things. So we're just about out of time. And before we go, I want to thank Tony for coming and also for being on the Heritage Radio Network board. Um, he's spending a lot of time in the .org world, yeah. which is very good. Um, and if we believe the CrowdRise motto of if you don't give, no one will like you, he is somebody who everybody likes. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll like you more if you give. <laughs> I always like to end the show with a little piece of advice um, for our listeners. So what's your best piece of advice to people who do want to get involved, who who think they want to help or volunteer or do something and don't really know how to get started? First of all, do it. Don't, let the, don't try to figure it out completely. Run with your passions, whatever your passions are. They're children, they're animals, they're medical, they're hunger, um, and run with that and find some place and go. Even if it's not the best experience, you've done it once, and now you have an idea of what you're looking for. And how do people find places? Um, Google. I mean, you can really do um, ask around. Um, contact me. You can contact me at uh, breadandlife.org. I'm happy to do that. And once again, Charity Navigator. I um, mean, those do um, have volunteer opportunities. Um, there's uh, to, to list those. Uh, actually, a big one here in the city is 311. 311 has a huge network of volunteer opportunities. Then there 
um, kind of all coded so you can figure out, you know, if you want to do hunger and animals and children, they'll find something for that. Um, and you can sign up for volunteer opportunities. So 311 is a very good uh, uh, kind of portal for that. And like so many things, we use digital technology to take us to a real-life experience. Yep. That's what it should do. So this week, Thanksgiving week, think of us. Think of HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We, too, are a not-for-profit, a 501c3 charity. We, too, subsist on the love and donations of our members and listeners. And, you know, Jack just bought an app for five bucks, which we all thought was amazingly expensive. But if everybody listening to this episode went to the website, clicked the beating heart, and sent us $5, we can continue to make wonderful radio. I'm Jennifer Leitzi. This is Tech Bytes, and I want to wish everyone an amazing, wonderful, generous holiday season. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.